0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Acre Podcast. Today we have John Bryson talking uh, all things millennials. So uh, this is an episode for everybody. If you're a parent of a millennial wondering how to um, shape and mold their future and direct them, uh, if you are a millennial, if you're a kid going into uh, the transitional stages of college, young adulthood, all that, um, stick around, J.B., I think he's an expert on this stuff, so I learned a lot, I hope you do too, uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Bryson. All right, well, John Bryson, welcome back.
1: Welcome back, glad to be back.
0: It's, uh, it's been a minute.
1: It's been a few of
0: those. <laughs> well, first things first, how's your fantasy team doing?
1: My fantasy team is, uh, I think I'm two and one, feel pretty good about things. Oh, it's, you have um, a loss, that's yeah, unfortunate. have a loss, I know, you're... Yeah pretty arrogant about you three.
0: (laughs) You reckon? I didn't know. I didn't know you knew about that. So thanks. Um, well, uh, anyway, in all seriousness, great to have you back. Um, want to talk today, kind of dig into really what I think is kind of your expertise, your wheelhouse, you know, kind of your sweet spot of, um, I guess young people integrating into society as adults, right? That transitionary period between, being under somebody else's care yes to having to be independent so um anyway i just want to uh, open the floor a little bit just sort of share have you share some initial thoughts on what you're seeing uh maybe locally in memphis but also kind of just broad culturally speaking in the country and in our society today with uh with what we would call millennials
1: yes Well, that's a lot to tackle. Um, I think probably what started this discussion recently with us was uh, our church going through the book of Exodus, and we're not just looking at the story of Exodus, but the biography of Moses. And Moses early on in the book of Exodus has kind of two distinct periods of of time. One is uh, from zero to 40, and then makes a really bad mistake at 40, and then he's out in this wilderness for the second 40 years of his life, and then... God shows up in a burning bush and get all the rest of the book and it just had me meditating on that that middle period of time where uh what began as a brash arrogant kind of ready fire aim Moses something happened in that wilderness that humbled him that grounded him that prepared him for that next season of life and so um obviously my own journey as a man as a leader uh, as just someone developing in and through adulthood um weighs into this my uh uh, experience on a college campus for 15 years, fours as a student and 11 in college ministry. So I just continually watched um, people transition from home to a college campus and at the same time watched hordes of students transition from their senior year into life post-collegiate and so uh, and then would track with them and so I just had this extraordinary uh, window into 20-somethings and those who developed really well and those who just kind of stayed stagnant and didn't really prepare themselves for the next season of life. And then now I'm 48 with six kids so I'm, I'm also in charge of helping young humans develop as well i'll have my first teenager in january and so so what are their age ranges uh, yeah brooks uh 12 will be 13 january 31st and then i got two nine-year-olds an eight-year-old a six-year-old and a will be four-year-old on friday jeez okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot yeah um okay so as you so you've had a lot of experience working with like you said young adults now where did you get your start was it with college back in denton
1: Yes, and so right after I graduated college in Kentucky, I moved to Denton to actually do a leadership development program. A guy named Tommy Nelson would take 12 guys right out of college, meet in his living room four mornings a week, and really teach us about life, tell us stories about what was going on in his life and other people's life that he was involved in, teach us Proverbs, uh, teach us Bible, and just really kind of try to prepare us for the rest of life. And uh, that was a very transformational year for me. Um, Also, it was the first time I'd ever done any ministry, worked for a church. So I ended up going to grad school after that year. Getting a master's in business and coming on staff at the church part time with the college ministry. And three years later that became full time and ended up being there eleven years total.
0: What was the uh what was the reasoning behind going and doing that program in the first place?
1: Yeah, it was uh it just seemed like my senior year of college, almost everything blew up. My plans, my the girl I thought I was gonna marry, the grad school I thought I was gonna go to, just nothing felt right or baseball team lost 38 straight games (laughs) (laughs) and uh i met tommy during that year and he uh uh, introduced me to that idea kind of like a gap year like why don't you come down here to we didn't have that language back then but uh Come down here. Let me get your feet solid before you make all your major life decisions, what you're going to do, who you're going to marry. Uh, it'd be good for you to spend a year in my tutelage and let me teach you and train you. Did you know so, him before that? I had started tracking with him the year before, Gotten uh, started listening to a ton of his sermons and just really respected him. And he at the time was a 40-year-old guy uh, um, who loved his Bible and could teach the Bible and, and offered this, like offered a chance to mentor
0: us. So you knew of the program from Kentucky?
1: Yeah, I met him up there. He'd come up there to do a Fellowship of Christian Athletes conference and then uh then he'd come back the next year and I ended up actually rooming with him and traveling with him a little bit and so I got to know him better and it just sounded like a a year that I needed.
0: So what was that decision process like uh entering into that program? I mean, what were the things that you factored in? What was the drive down like? I mean, what was going through your head?
1: Yeah, it was a it was pretty traumatic to to the all four years of college, basically, or the first three and a half years of college, I just said I was going to go to law school. I had no idea what a lawyer did. It just sounded successful. It sounded <laughs> like, uh, uh, man, I had a plan. It sounded, nobody would ask me any other questions. Yeah. Great idea. Cool, you got it together. Yes, and then I literally was home over Christmas, had taken the LSAT, had all my applications in line, and I had to fill out a housing form for University of Kentucky Law School. And I remember vividly walking to my mailbox going like, this is a deposit, like this will make it real. And I just couldn't do it. And I remember it started at home, walking back in and just tell You me, had it in your hands? Yeah, tell, literally. It's, it sounds like you would make that up as a yeah. drama. But I, I <laughs> walked back in the house going, hey, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next year. I know I'm not supposed to do this. and man, You just knew? Yes. And uh, it was one of those moments. I hadn't had very many of those moments, but uh, that was one of them. And man, my parents handled it awesome. It, there was no shame, no guilt, no what are you doing? Uh, it was like, we want for you what the Lord wants for you, so let's figure that out, and then it just started to become clear, I need to go get a year under my belt uh, of life and leadership, and and then I can always do this in a couple years or later, or um, uh, let's figure out what I'm going to do.
0: When you were growing up, did your parents give you, were they kind of hands-off, or were they as involved as they sensed they needed to be, and just let you be independent, like
1: yeah, they were they were, would have definitely fallen on the independent route, and I appreciated a lot of that. Uh, I think right after me is when some of the um, the helicopter parenting and some of the over-parenting kind of became the norm, and so I had just enough freedom that it has served me well all my life. I mean, even in a little town I grew up in, uh, starting in third grade, we had one hour off for lunch. So third graders through twelfth graders got released from school, like
0: off campus? Yeah,
1: we'd run downtown, eat at a drugstore or eat at a little restaurant and just be back in an hour. Now
0: in how, third grade,
1: in third grade, and then by the time I was in sixth grade, like it was only sixth graders, so it's kind of we were the last class that kind of got to do that. But imagine the responsibility, you know, how terrifying that would be if you let my third graders run loose for an hour. But also, what a gift that was to learn how to manage time and um, learn how to be responsible and learn how to come back and all those kinds. Of I things. have a
0: second grader that yeah thought is terrifying. Isn't that crazy that part is- of that
1: small town, but part of that's <laughs> like man that. I admire a lot of that so my parents um, I kind of grew up I feel like we were kind of that last generation that kind of did that you know what I'm saying that we got to kind of roam and and there's no doubt in my head those are the early seeds that would make me move to Texas on my own you know 11 years after that moved to Memphis not knowing anybody to just go man I can make transitions and I can do this and transition is hard but we do hard things
0: so then Was there a lot of unknowns going into the Dallas move, or not the Dallas, but the Denton move?
1: yes and no it in my mind i was going for nine months and then coming back home to kentucky to either go to law school or go on staff at fca or do some of the things i was comfortable with it was during the end of that year where i met a texan a female texan uh and the church said hey we think you're pretty good at ministry you ought to consider doing that continuing to do this so then i I committed to kind of three more years in grad school and then i would go back and and but the same church yeah and and so as as i Ended up going to seminary, so it was it was a uh, my eleven years there. It felt like a series of two to three year commitments. Um, gotcha. Uh, just, all right, I'll commit to this next window. But
0: you were there for eleven years. Uh,
1: yeah, eleven years.
0: And during that time, you got your seminary degree. You were. Uh, Were you pastor of college?
1: I was the associate pastor for three years um, and then became the college pastor for the last seven or eight. Um, Yeah, I was the farthest thing in my mind ever to go into vocational ministry. And so that first year I volunteered at the church and just, uh, man, I cut up vegetables and I was driving a school bus. And I was telling some, (laughs) some, some young guys the other day, like, That year of obscurity and mundaneness, and then later I learned biblically like God does so much in our soul in those kind of wilderness years of obscurity and mundaneness where we learn. I had to learn to be faithful in the little things and uh, be faithful to a boss and and to be a good worker and just... Now, in hindsight, it was just learning to be faithful uh, in in the midst of obscurity and mundaneness. And what I was sharing with that young group was like, I'm so grateful social media didn't exist in 1991, Mm. because I'm not sure I could have endured that year if I was looking every day at the life of my peers, going to grad school and buying a car (laughs) and experiencing a real job. I would would have short-circuited God's development of me because of uh, comparing my life in that moment with other people's life
0: man, that makes a lot of sense. I was actually going to ask you to expand on that. Cause I remember, I mean, I went into ministry at age 25 yeah. and just went in thinking like they should hand me the keys to the church. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I pretty much know all the things. Yes. So just let me run it. And yes. obviously that's not the way the world works, right. but, um, yeah, I was going to have, when you mm-hmm. were driving, there's a funny story you often share when you made your way down to denton yeah what that first day was like yes uh sort of set the tone for the coming year
1: yes so i had um i guess externally if you were looking at things i'd had a pretty successful college experience had a lot of friends um was real involved with uh, fellowship christian athletes was started it on my campus was president my senior year played baseball and and so i what i didn't know i didn't have this language was i'd basically just created a bunch of idols like i enjoyed being known as a baseball player known as involved with the fellowship christian athletes i enjoyed being a bigger fish in a smaller pond in a sense i was at a little school i enjoyed being within two hours of my hometown and um and i now here i am driving to texas and i'd never been west of memphis and i'm driving across arkansas which i always say will make you cry anyway but like i'm literally <laughs> crying uh, as um just all that's I'm leaving all that all that is gone it's kind of like when Abraham's you know God asked him to leave her, not knowing where he was going and so I had no idea um what life was going to be like look like um and ended up uh yeah pulling into Denton Texas and Tommy was a, Nelson was a little surprised to see me he had made that offer and I hadn't really followed up much and I just showed up and uh <laughs> I guess I thought I don't know what I thought I thought probably my own entitlement. You know, they'd have a place for me to stay or I'd stay with yeah. somebody in the church. And he's like, man, you got to get out of here, find a spot. And anyway, we I would caught him right as he was taking his, John Clark, his son, to go shag fly balls. And I'd kind of dressed up to meet him. And so it's August 18th in 120-degree Texas, and I'm in a <laughs> – starched clothes and khaki yeah. pants and a button up and we go to the baseball field and for like two and a half hours we're hitting fly balls and like I'm just watching the back of Tommy's head <laughs> as he's pitching to his son and I'm like, What am I doing? Like what in the world has happened?
0: A little bit different than law school.
1: A little bit different than law school, yes. <laughs> I am absolutely unknown in a brand new town and that's the greatest thing for me. It's the greatest thing in the world for me to just have to toil in obscurity and mundaneness. um why while God was developing me, it was one of the things you mentioned like it it, it, it went to war with my entitlement, it went to war with uh, having to have external validation to do things. it made me actually work. I had to get up every day. Go study with Tommy. Go to a job. I start. I learned that life isn't about. Life doesn't give you fall break, spring break, month off at Christmas, three months off at <laughs> summer. Yeah. Like I, you know, work is hard. You know, weeks are long, and you, and then next week there's another week of work. And so, like, I had a boss I had to satisfy, and then two bosses I had to satisfy, and uh, having to endure in less than ideal circumstances and situations just creates in you, um, a confidence that hmm. man, I can endure and there are bad days and there are bad months, and there are bad weeks, and I'm not entitled to perfect work conditions. And I'm sure not entitled to that at 23 or 25 or 27. And so, um, you, I,
0: were you thinking that at the time? Oh, though?
1: no, this is all hindsight's 2020, <laughs> right. but they were some of the, that I did have the gift of Tommy, coaching me and even some of the things I say I'm sure were direct quotes from him learn, learn to be faithful in the little things I'm sure he taught us that day one and so he was casting a vision for us uh, and we were all that way like we'd all been uh he had met us at some FCA deal or presidents of our own FCA or campus crusade, or Campus Outreach and so here we all we're all going through that together in the midst of you know this architectural wasteland of America called Denton <laughs> Texas <laughs> and um yeah and and we're just laboring away every day
0: 11 years college uh-huh. ministry? What? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that gives you some credibility on the issue. So what were the big – obviously, it was. It, it's not necessarily the current day, but, I mean, I'm sure the struggles are similar. What were some of the things you saw within college students, like the big sort of mental challenges they were facing as they were transitioning from college to career or even from the high school to college? Like what – I've been out of college for like 10 years now. So – sort of forgotten what what's going on in the minds of college students during that time
1: yeah you know I'm, I'm a little removed from it myself but I would imagine some of the issues are similar and, and and that's why you know when I talk about young people or that decade of our 20s like I, I'm not picking on millennials per se I do think there's some unique cultural shifts that have made some unique challenges for those in their late teens and twenties today. But, um, first of all, college is a complete fantasy world. Like it's awesome. It's a (laughs) lot of fun, but it is like all the privileges of adulthood with none of the responsibilities. And so if, if you don't understand that, uh, that at some point, you know, um, it's, it's also a training ground and if you're not using that to develop, then it's not like there's, I tell young folks all the time. It's not like there's just, I feel like we live as, we can live completely irresponsible lives in college you know getting doing just enough to get by um and then at some point in the future there'll just be this switch flip where we're ready to be a spouse we're ready to be a full-time contributing employee we're ready to be a noble citizen of a city and um and that just doesn't happen like that that's a muscle that's built that's not a switch
0: that flips yeah man i I can attest to you can just sort of squeak by in college yes um (laughs) So the, uh, as we're, when you were doing your 11 years of college ministry, was that part of, were, were those students, did they grow up within the helicopter parenting that you're talking about?
1: Some of them did, definitely for, uh, some of them did. Um, there were, um, you know, we, we would get all walks of life and you could almost see it when they kind of came onto campus and. Uh, were given their first doses of responsibility Uh, some of them weren't used to functioning apart from a parent making all their decisions and some of them um you know i even saw that when i was in college i went potluck on a roommate my roommate i remember we both had the same history test and we came back and our phone our phone started ringing is it was a wall phone if you can imagine that remember that with a cord yeah and (laughs) it was like his mom asking how he did on his test and i remember thinking. Parents don't even remember where I went to college, I don't think. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does his mom know he has a test? And so I think there's both extremes. Some yeah. parents go to school with their kid. Uh, in fact, I was just told by a family at Mississippi State this year that they had to unpublish all the professor's emails, not because of the students emailing them, but because of the parents emailing them. Mm. And so, like, it's that, um, that just continual helicopter I'm going to go cover and, and parent my kid. Well into what should be their adulthood beginnings, and they just prevent that from happening.
0: Yeah. My wife taught uh, 10th grade algebra in what was considered the best school district in Dallas, or in Texas. And, um, man, she only lasted one year because of the parents. Wow. I mean, if their kids didn't get a good grade, it wasn't the student's fault. That's exactly right. It was the teacher's fault. She also coached volleyball, so if their kid wasn't starting on the volleyball team, it's the coach's fault. It's a personal vendetta, not that their kid wasn't good enough. That's right. Um, well, my, I guess as a parent of four kids, I feel the tension too. What what is the alternative to in, in today's culture? Like you said, back in the day when you were in third grade, you could just leave school and you could leave the campus, run downtown and come back. That's not today. No. And so as a parent, whether it's a parent of young kids or teenagers or, you know, uh, people, young adults. What's an alternative today to actually give kids an opportunity to develop that independence? Meanwhile, you, I mean, your natural instinct is to protect them. Sure. You know?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm working that out real time, so let's right. do another podcast in a decade and <laughs> speak like I'm an expert. But I, I do think it's got something to do with the um, beginning with the end in mind, so knowing I'm raising my kids to release them. And so, uh, uh, you know, that I am... 18 years with them lord willing under my roof and then another four that are going to be transitional and then boom they're out um a vision to do that you know secondly um just again i don't think it's one or two or three humongous decisions i think it's 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 like lifting weights it's the beginning to to build a muscle in them of personal responsibility and so i had a nine-year-old yesterday tell me dad i'm bored my response is I believe you, it's not my, <laughs> it's not my job to make I you board. You. Yeah. It's your job to find something to do for you mm. that stretches you and entertains You know, and so just constantly as appropriately. Um, and we try, we try to do something, for instance, at the beginning of every new school year that's new for them to do. And so, Early on, it was uh, maybe make your bed or help make your bed or don't come downstairs unless you're dressed.
0: Like give them a new element of That's responsibility. Exactly
1: right, Yes, a new element of them owning their day, their responsibility, uh, brushing their teeth, uh, you know, that them um, making their own breakfast. So, I, you know, for my four oldest now, you know, you, you got this, 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 or this, but I'm not pouring your milk on your cereal. Yeah. Like you can do that. So,
0: you said. Uh Your youngest can turn four this week. Yes. So, are there things that you're already doing for a four year old? Yeah,
1: yeah. I I celebrate with the in the earliest years. I just celebrate transitions. So, man, when you go from a crib to a big boy bed, like, yeah, you know what? I we celebrate that when you go from sippy cup to big boy cup, we we ceremonially throw away all the sippy cups. You know what I'm saying? We high five, and it's like I want a rhythm of transitioning into new new seasons of life that mean new areas of responsibility.
0: Okay. Well, let's say somebody grew up in a home that didn't have parents that intentionally let them develop the responsibility muscle. Yes. What, what are you seeing with say the typical, not typical, but a large portion of people in their mid twenties, they're having to deal with social media. They're having to deal with, um, sort of their first experience into a, uh, ruthlessly competitive world mm-hmm. right that doesn't care about their talent um, so what what are some of those things that you see with those people entering that stage the struggles especially with social media what is all that what kind of effect does that have in
1: yeah well I, I can just speak for the context of the young people I influence the ones I pastor the ones I teach and in, in like downline and emerging leaders the personal mentor and discipleship relationships I have is I, I am constantly encouraging them that the the most generic way I can put it is it feels like a lot of 20-somethings they talk on a scale of 1 to 10 they talk like a 8, 9, and 10 and they can't do 2, 3, or 4 <laughs> and so they'll talk about wanting to be an one day, an unbelievable spouse, have an unbelievable family, raise amazing kids, have an unbelievable job that has incredible influence and and purpose and meaning, um, and have a you know a great career as an amazing entrepreneur. <laughs> so, and they're convinced they're going to do that. Yeah, and they want to change the world. So so verbally, <laughs> and th- on top of all that, verbally they're at eight, nine, and ten yeah they can't get up the same time three mornings in a row like their roommates hate them they can't hold down a job you know what i'm saying and yeah. it's just like the 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 it's like lifting weights again it's like man you know those, those are those areas of responsibility as i learn to excel in them then i'm building those responsibility muscles that that allow you to live a pretty awesome life and uh or a significant life um and it's like I want to get them in the weight room. In the, uh, in the weight room of life, of a responsible life, is is my plea to them. And I'm and it's it's it was bad when I was in the twenty somethings. It's worse now uh, with the parent of the culture of parenting, where our culture is. It, social media plays a part of that, um, and so it's just. Um,
0: it, uh, he's explain the culture of parenting.
1: Yeah, it, well, it feels like you mentioned over parenting. You've mentioned it, there's like for all if you look at history. Um, like for most of history, like the, the five significant, you know, I'm gonna leave home, get a job, get my own home, marry a spouse, have kids. That tended to happen pretty quickly. In all those five things, pretty you you kind of like in in manhood language, you went from boy to man with those five transitions. Boom, almost it. Say
0: them again one more time.
1: Uh, I'm gonna you know get a job. Uh, Get my own place to live, you know. Find a spouse, um, uh, have kids, um, leave home, whatever. And, and those transition and, and it's we, all kind of that condensed you know, window. So we've created like this this space between boy and man, you know, called dude or called just guy, <laughs> you know. And, and it's like we, McGarry, yeah, we give him, No, McGarry's a responsible, <laughs> contributing member of whatever. our society. Like awesome kids, husband, man. awesome father. But it's like there's um uh, there, some very noble, legitimate reasons you know, a 28 year old's not married and not a parent and all those kinds of things. So I'm not speaking specifically to a specific situation, but it's like, it's like our cultures backed off our 20 somethings. It's given them like a, this mulligan of a decade to Hmm. to get out of college and live like you're still in college and not really encourage you to take some of those steps toward responsibility to the detriment of our 20 somethings. And so like, I believe they are strong, competent, capable, you know, um, but it's, it's, when I say our culture, it just, like, I'll give you a tangible example. So I'm 48. Uh, so 27 years ago when I'm 21, I went to this thing called a family reunion for probably the last time. And I had this crazy aunt that will, like, actually tell you the truth, but she's crazy. So what year was this? This is let's my senior year of college. Like, let's say this is 1991. And uh, and so she's like, now where are you going to work and who you are going to marry? Like Like, she expected post-college to mean – career and wife and again that's not god's will for everyone but like the family good pressure the culture good pressure was like okay your adolescence is over your are you've, you've had your college time your teenage time now you're ready to get on in life and since i've been alive it's felt like since my 20s that expectation of you know whatever you want to call it dude world or just live again with the um all the freedoms of an adult but very few of the responsibilities uh just keeps feels like it keeps extending um mm. and to where the uh, to again it's I, I apologize to 20-somethings that our culture don't, doesn't help them more that more parents aren't more intentional to coach them into kind of the fat of the bad of life so they can contribute and feel
0: what do you think has caused it
1: <laughs> i don't know i, I think it's uh I don't know. I wouldn't be smart enough to figure all that out. I've been more of an observer than really kind of to dive in and go, "Man, what is this?" You know, for me, it's always going to go back to. I promise you, it probably started with uh poor fatherhood, bad dads, you know, who abandon their family or who don't, uh, you know, aren't servant leaders in their home, um who are really kind of coaching up their kids in truth and love. Um, but I'm sure there's tons of other contributing factors.
0: Because it's not, it's not just like they're getting a mulligan for 10 years. It's almost like they're, they're expected not to do those things in their 20s. Right. right. You know, it's not like if you don't do it, it's cool. Right. It's like you shouldn't do it. Right. You shouldn't do those things. Right. And so that's kind of the, the big dramatic shift that I've seen is just people thought I was weird because I got married at 23. Right. And they're just like, why would you do that? Yeah. yeah totally. And that, that was just like 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, I'm not advocating for anyone to get married at 22 or 23. You know what I'm saying? But it, when you look at all those things, um, what I want to do, I and mean, I, my, my heart in helping 20-somethings is, uh, especially young men, is to just kind of help get them marriable. You know what I'm saying? Like like I often ask them, like, would you marry you right now? <laughs> like, yeah. and, and and how, and you're, you know, if you're honest, you'd say no. And this, okay. So what, what can you be working toward so that uh, – Man, when that spouse comes into your life, like you can invite them into a life that is building responsibility. You know what I'm saying, and, and moving somewhere. What are the most common
0: somewhere. things you're seeing with those guys that make them unmarriable?
1: Uh, inability to work hard, uh, addiction to pornography, a one, yeah. um, uh, uh, growing indebtedness. You know, just requiring living on credit cards and, and consumer debt and no real plan to to deal with that, and uh, or just kicking that can down the down the road, and uh, then the pressure that puts on a marriage, and the, I mean, it just you can start seeing it uh, cascade versus uh, the other path, which is, hey, you know, I'm not sure when God's going to bring me a spouse; He may not, but in the meantime, I'm going to work on um, being faithful. You know, uh, and and some of this is, uh, you know, culturally as well. There's this 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 pursuit of comfort has led to this. Hmm. entitlement that um somehow some of our 20-somethings some 20-somethings I've interviewed have somehow they literally believe they're they're due the job of their lifetime at 24 with Mm -hmm. perfect coworkers and a perfect boss and perfect work hours and an unbelievable pay, you know, that like, like that life just hands you that because you're 22 or 26 or 28. They don't see that as a reward of the previous season. Mm -hmm. And because man, I did this during this season, now I have the opportunity to step into this and, and, and therefore they'll, they won't take a job before they'll take a job they don't like. (laughs) And, 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 I say i'm sorry to them because part- part of what's created this is the wealth of America and the fact that that people can live in three four five thousand square foot homes uh fathers and grandfathers can afford to take care of financially a couple of generations like you roll back the clock a hundred years ago, and there's point one of one percent that could do that like you can't hmm. you can't move back in here after college because we're living in eight hundred square feet we don't have room for you like you know what I'm yeah. saying like you can't uh, i can't afford to raise you. Into your, I can't afford to pay. You know, there were cell phone bills or your your car insurance when you're 26 or whatever. Like, and so part of what has confused this is, man, family dynamics and wealth and some of the control of that. And so a lot of frustrated 20 somethings are frustrated because they they feel they still feel controlled by their parents (laughs) and don't realize it's because they're financially dependent on their parents. Right. Or a guy will feel controlled by his in laws while taking money from their in laws. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you can't have both those things. Yeah. Like the way to the way the way to independence is to be independent.
0: Yeah, I always thought that was one of the I think when I first got here I heard you talking about some of those things dealing with you know, people wanting independence without wanting to take the steps to be independent. Exactly. What those um the twenty five year olds that come out and they think that they're due, the best job of their life, all these different things that you know, it's the trophy generation. Yes. Right? So everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. So do you think that in some way there's going to be like a shift that occurs because that 24, 25 year old is going to realize that they've been lied to Yes. and they're going to realize very quickly that the world doesn't care about what they think they're, how talented they think they are. Any of that. Uh, So that person, that 24, 25 year old, I mean, Statistically speaking, they will get married eventually yeah. they will have kids eventually. do you think that the pendulum will swing back as they realize that sort of the way that they the self esteem culture um, the trophy generation that the pendulum will swing the other way because they realize that that wasn 't necessarily the truth
1: it'll be interesting to see i, I would I would have to think yes, um, but only time will tell but it, there's a yeah I think you you hit the nail on the head I mean with the the, the the self esteemation of America, like self esteem in and of itself, is important. Like I want to build self esteem in my kids, but somewhere along the way, that that volume knob just got cranked to where it became the ultimate thing. And so to tell someone, to tell a young person, they can't do anything they want to do. They shouldn't major in anything they want to major in. Like they're good at these things and they're not good at those things, mm-hmm. and they're probably better suited for these careers and not those careers. Like that's tat them out to like hating on them, like, you know what I'm saying, oh, and, and what that does is, which is why I apologize to 20-somethings, is it makes them think they can do anything they want, it's, like, it's a lie, like you said, they, they've been lied to that there is, um, yeah, they deserve an unbelievably comfortable, great life immediately, and, and tragically, life isn't fair, and life is hard, and man, and if you've not learned that There's going to be some really rough seasons in your life, but, you know, by God's grace, you can endure those, and you've not built that muscle of tenacity and endurance and learning to excel in the midst of hard times, Uh, and it just feels like you get blindsided Mm -hmm. the first time you have a bad year of of marriage. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That you become a quitter, right? So I'm just going to quit this marriage. I'm just going to quit this job. I'm just going to quit this church. Like, that, it's just like, that's what I would wish for all of our young people. I hope for my kids that I can help them, not, not lie to them that life's not going to be hard, help them endure in the midst of the pain and loss of life.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things that I've seen is the lack of ability. And I, I went through this in my 20s, too. I'm not you know, beyond this. The lack of ability to receive criticism hmm. and just the lack of ability to, to grow through negative feedback yes you know because as soon as we're told like you're saying as soon as we're told something that we're not the greatest we did something wrong we run from it totally and rather because i think uh um johnny Pineda was asking me when i my first few months here he said how do you receive negative criticism and i said well honestly i kind of like it it's the only time i know somebody's telling me the truth yeah you know because that's the difficult conversation you know anybody can come and tell you you're great and all that and that's an easy conversation right but um. Anyway, I, yeah, it's just interesting to see.
1: Well, and, it, and the social media has added an interesting de- development to that. And obviously to qualify, there's tons of great things about social media that I enjoy and, and appreciate. But part of the dark side is like we've got a generation coming up now that thinks the world is entitled to their opinion about everything. <laughs> and if I disagree, doesn't know how to disagree. Like if, if you disagree with me, then I've got to demonize you and then ultimately unfollow you and so like I, I I grew up in this echo chamber of simply feeling like, and I, I already telling my daughter like hey you don't have to respond to everything that happens in life hmm. like I tell people all the time one of the reasons I got off Twitter is like people were making assumptions about me because of what I didn't tweet or when hmm. I didn't tweet or what oh, I didn't Oh John Bryce tweet. is not talking about
0: this one or Yeah so yeah.
1: obviously he dot da you know what I'm saying and I'm just like good night you know um, like the world's not entitled to my opinion on everything. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. And it's not
0: even an entitled to your opinion. It's the, uh, well, there's that, but then it's also like this sense that the world needs to hear your opinion. Right, right, exactly. Like my opinion is something that needs to be out there. It
1: matters, and yeah, yeah, it's important. (laughs) And again, sometimes it is, and sometimes it does, but it's like, I'm not sure what that does to our psyche to feel like we've got to, and, and, in 140 characters. So I've got to be <laughs> smart enough to nu- to talk about very nuanced things in less than 140 characters. It's just
0: insane. I've seen countless I mean even my friends that just man they lose careers or they yes. get sidelined in their jobs yes. because they just don't know how to navigate that world. Yeah, and you know the Again, I'm so, I don't look down my nose
1: at that. I'm like, I look in the mirror at that. But it's like, that's why when I say I'm so glad social media didn't exist in my 20s. It's just because like, like I see it now, like they don't even realize when they, like they come to work for an organization. Now everything they say is reflects that mm-hmm. organization and they don't want it to like, yeah. no, I'm, that's my, you know what I'm saying? But it's just like, like learning that, man, this is a reflection on my family and my, you know, that bigger that my organization, my fellow staff members.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine things that I things that I thought in my 20s being published. Yeah. Well, <laughs> forever. There, there, <laughs> you know? There's
1: been at least 20 times someone's either applied to our church or a residency program that it took me about 17 seconds on their social media account to no longer consider them a candidate. <laughs> and it's like how did they not even think the, that I'm not going to go, you know what I'm saying, are our for future employers not going to go look at this and Facebook and get a read on them? Man, I, yeah,
0: there's a lot of uh, just sort of lack of awareness Yes. just when it comes to that. Well, that's, an, that's, that's another question I, I definitely want to ask before you get out of here, but um, as parents, right, so you're in the thick of the fight, you've got an almost 13-year-old, an almost 4-year-old, everything in between. Social media is going to be part of their world oh. and so what are are there things that you know work as far as sort of uh shepherding that in their lives, kind of directing them through that
1: yeah, I'm wondering if that won 't course correct too, as we're talking about cultural trends and there won 't be a backlash, you know especially as more in si- what way well i mean it's almost overwhelmingly clear that especially when it comes to the uh, spike in teen depression and suicide over the last 10 years that is startling to everyone who's seen the research, but it's like every, it's almost a direct correlation. Every single correlation between depression, suicide, um, feelings of loneliness uh, are equated with increased screens. And almost every Mm -hmm. single true pathway of happiness and enjoyment doesn't include a screen. And so, like, one of our mottos right now, and I don't even pick on social media, just screens in general, is, um, you know, Beth was like, you're flying the other day. You're flying around everywhere in these afternoons with baseball and football and art lessons. I was like, man, I'm at war with screens right now. If my kid will do something besides a screen. Uh, and then if they're on screen, so I've just invested in a drawing tablet for my daughter. Uh, I'm waiting for it to get here. I want her creating on that screen, not just consuming on what that screen. What is it? Uh, it's a it's some new sketch art tablet deal that's coming out. Just for drawing? Yes. yes. Okay. So, like, that's uh, – I would love for her to be on that a lot, you know, as she's creating and drawing and sketching and all those kinds of things. And so, yeah, I mean, we're at war, and I but I don't have – ton of answers you know but it's uh um there's just something different playing a football game last night and our boys being down 12 nothing and winning the game in the last minute and driving home and the physicality of that and smelling that field and enjoying that with them that's just different than an xbox afternoon yeah and um uh, i just i want more of that for them
0: yeah what are uh, what are the takeaways like what are some of the things that um you know speak to whatever you want to speak to whether it's parents or the church or uh kids themselves i mean what are some of the takeaways that we can do to make sure that you know the coming generations are set up in a way that allows them to endure mm-hmm. and allows them to you know go through difficulty and all yeah
1: that? well i mean it, it'll sound cliche but like you know just the comfort of god's word the the multi-century genera you know, generations of, of what it looks like to walk with God and trust God. And, um, what's it, you know, cause I, I can fall into fear very easily. You know, Just I was just reminding myself this morning, like I took a walk and was just praying for my kids and just all right, God loves my kids more than I love my kids. Like mm. I, I can fear the future. I can fear how to protect them from the dark side of technology and it can get overwhelming, but just returning to the fact that God loves them. And, uh, um, you know, I, And I want to model a presence for them. I want to model to them a a broken man who loves the Lord. And, um, yeah, I want to love them well. Uh, That pattern of investment, you know, my my parents fought different battles than I'll fight. And I'm sure my grandparents fought different battles than my parents fought. But uh, uh, pointing them to the gospel, walking with them through life. And I think, you know, letting them taste the sweetness of life, whether it's a exploring a lake or splashing in a creek or, you know, enjoying God's creation uh, as part of our rhythm and pattern um, and appreciating sunsets and and sunrises and different seasons and mm. seeing different things and, uh, you know, keeping an adventurous spirit within them of all God's created. I don't know. I, I hope yeah. that'll – I'll be proud of having done that two yeah. decades from now.
0: No, I mean, it's it's good to hear. I think uh, – and like you are saying, if we we're going to tell – kids you can't do anything that you want you know you're hating on them that kind of thing like it's good for me to hear as a parent of young kids just man i'm true i think i have a tendency to over course correct yeah so my seven year old almost eight she's talented at some things and so she just likes to make take the easy route with everything and so you know i always tell her like you're really talented but that's going to be your downfall yeah yeah. you know because you're just going to rely on that and there's going to be somebody out there that's going to work harder than you it's going to leave you in their wake, you know? (laughs) And, and, uh, I mean, maybe that's a little harsh for a seven year old, (laughs) uh, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, there's a lack of that for sure. Um, of just sort of a demonstrating ethic, work ethic Mm -hmm. and things like that, that really do translate into the real world. But anyway, um, anything else you want to share? Yeah,
1: no, I think these are good discussions and man, I, you know, they're very humbling discussions uh there's there are uh yeah i uh, i'm in the season of life now where i feel like i'm you know transitioning from the middle of life firmly into uh, uh, a new season at 48 looking at my 50s and and, and just wanting to help like wanting to coach but but not from a Self-righteous old guy barking at millennials or whatever, but just kind of saying, "Hey, there, there are some different ways that I don't trust the culture." You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, trust the Lord, and um, uh, man, life can be great if you trust Him and walk with Him. And and in those dark seasons, He can be right there with you. And life's going to be hard. Just kind of help them set up expectations so that there can be a endurance and uh, built into uh, young men and women so they can endure the tough seasons that are coming
0: yeah i think uh i do like the idea of revisiting this in a decade with you (laughs) as you uh you know um as somebody who's keenly aware of the situation and then you know uh, i guess he'll be 14 then but you'll see pretty much the gamut of uh uh sort of that transition you know definitely with your oldest gonna be 23 all that just seeing how parenting works today when Nobody's getting released in third grade to yeah. go downtown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you still want to give them an element yes. of independence. Yes. I, and honestly, I think I am, like the majority of people, so confused on how to do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and as the old timers always say, you know, about the time you feel a little bit confident in your parenting, you're done. Like, you're, you are make a great <laughs> grandparent because it's like it takes those life lessons of parenting. And it's, it's the scariest, uh, most helpless um, position I have you know when I look at all the roles I have man parent is the one that I just feel defeated <laughs> most of the time yeah. and have to rem- remind myself and fear fear and defeat two great feelings uh but it's just like I just remind it's reality myself. yeah yeah it is
0: yeah well uh I appreciate you coming on yeah good um, discussions. definitely good to pick your brain on the, the topic that I think uh you have a lot of wisdom to share on it so uh I will see you in 10 years all right man <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks John Bryson everybody